0: hey welcome back to the ruby dev summit uh we are asking experts in ruby and ruby on rails about what the future of ruby looks like uh i am talking to steven margheim uh steven is uh something something boss of engineering at test.io and uh you know has been doing a lot of work on the sqlite uh ruby integration and and some of that with rails as well um and uh, yeah, so I thought you might have kind of a fascinating take, Stephen, on what the future of Ruby is. Um, we don't have to stay in the lane of SQLite. Obviously, we can talk about, you know, where the community is going, where you see the technology going as a whole, um, you know, and and then yeah, eventually we'll probably talk about database stuff. Um, but yeah, what what when people talk about what the future of Ruby is, what what are you thinking? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that Ruby is experiencing a bit of a resurgence the last Mm -hmm. maybe year and a half um, as the larger web development community is starting to realize the value and the benefits of simplicity, whether that's simplicity in the form of deployment architectures, monoliths versus... Micros, <clears throat> microservices, whether that is simplicity in the form of how your web application is architected. Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. use all of the new React features and find your way into Next.js <laughs> so you can have React server components? <laughs> or do you start right. to explore the possibilities of, like, oh, okay, like, can hypermedia actually provide rich experiences and you know i think for for ruby we have such a long history in the world of web development that we've experienced a lot of the temptations a lot of the cycles of hype and um, technologies and there's always been a strong core of pragmatism in the Ruby community, which I think has helped protect us somewhat from the hype driven volatility that I think is more common in the JavaScript and front end focused uh, portion of web development. But I think that as I look into the future, like for Ruby, I see an opportunity, for us to become more active and engaged and connected with the larger web development conversations and trends as there is this growing sort of union in the natural pragmatism of the Ruby community and Mm -hmm. the desire to find that one perfect best tool that seems to be driving so much of the larger web development community.
0: Right. Um, I kind of want to back up a little bit um, and just kind of talk about some of these ideas here. So, um, and I should have been writing them down because there were like three of them that I wanted to hit. But um, one of the things that you mentioned was just kind of the, um, I guess, some of the simplicity and kind of the natural flow of the language and things like that is something that I'm kind of pulling from what you're saying. Um, and I'm curious as to how much you see. I mean, are we pulling people back from some of these other communities, or are we attracting newer people because of the way that Ruby works? Or, you know, because you mentioned we're kind of seeing this resurgence, and so I'm I'm curious where you're seeing it. Is it newer people? Is it experienced people? Is it across the spectrum?
1: Yeah, I think it's a mix. Um, I had the opportunity to go to. I think four conferences last year, and uh-huh. this is regularly the case. There's, you know, the question at the start of the conference: like, raise your hand if this is your first Ruby conference. Raise your hand if this is your first yep. tech conference. Raise your hand if you are uh, a new web developer. And there were uh, a lot more hands than I expected, even in some of the smaller conferences. Like, the percentage of, you know, maybe some in the range of ten to twenty percent. Um, new developers, new Rubyists. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there is still a, an influx of people that are new to development, new to web development, who are finding Ruby and finding it interesting and attractive. I've also seen a lot of people who, and again, I think this is one of the benefits of Ruby, like being around for 30 years, who have worked with Ruby at some point in their past And then, Uh over the course of maybe the last five to 10 years, their jobs had them focusing more in some aspect of working in JavaScript. And then, in the last maybe three years to one year, have started doing more work in Ruby. So, I think that there are uh, two sort of like mainstreams. One are these new Rubyists who are coming into the industry. Um, finding the language, finding the community, finding the tools, finding the ecosystem attractive and interesting. And then there's also long-term web developers who might have spent the last decade primarily working in JavaScript but are now finding themselves coming back to Ruby. And the combination of those two things, I think, is bringing a lot of energy back into the community and into the ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. I mean, some of it is just kind of the, I don't even know how to explain it, but kind of the simple intuitive nature of the language. Um, and some of that is, yeah, a lot of the tools you, I think you said it was a pragmatic approach to things that we have in Ruby where, yeah, a lot of these problems get solved and they get solved in an elegant way that, and it's not just elegance because elegance, it's elegant because it's easy. It's you know, I, I can kind of grab it and get my hands on it and figure it out and understand what's going on there. And if I don't want to go too deep on it, I can still kind of intuit my way into using it.
1: Yeah, I think that's an important addition to the framing of like the simplicity of Ruby is that it's it's not a simplicity that puts a ceiling on power flexibility it's a simplicity around intuition and understandability and readability that makes it i think really attractive for spanning that sort of like gap from like having one person doing work and then starting to bring on your second and third person into the team and having to deal with the communication overhead of like what are we doing how are we trying to this computer to do precisely what we want consistently and repeatedly and it's there where the sort of natural characteristics of ruby i think really shine and its simplicity is in its ability to express ideas with great clarity that i think really makes it attractive uh even today like 20 30 years later um, there's still a really vibrant community there because when you need to do something, right? Like you you want to write code not for its uh, mathematical purity but for achieving some valuable goal. I think that there are really very few languages that have the same clarity of intention in the code itself uh, as compared to Ruby. And it continues to draw people to it um, all these years later.
0: So I want to ask, uh, kind of along these same lines, um, I'm assuming you're using Ruby and or Rails um, at test.io. And so uh, when we got on the call, you mentioned that, hey, you know, I can get on and I can do these summits and things because I have a a well-functioning team that, you know, everything kind of works smoothly. And I, I'm wondering, I mean, some of that's going to be down to, you know, management and process and things like that. But but how much do you attribute that to the language?
1: Yeah, well, I attribute a lot to the language, especially in our context where we have pushed into a number of new product categories in the last four years. You know, So for the longest time, we were mm-hmm. a fairly standard SaaS startup where the company's name is Test.io. The web domain is test.io. The product is the test.io platform. There was a very clear one-to-one-to-one mapping. But with success and time, you naturally grow and expand. And especially recently, we have been expanding into a number of different areas. And in each of those cases, that has been expanding with a completely new code base. so we now have a department that is building large new features as well as maintaining um, 10 you know, revenue generating products mm-hmm. that are their own separate repositories. And if you include every single kind of developer, you know, native developers, uh, QA developers, designers, what have you, we're still under. 50 people and so much of what is allowing us to have that kind of breadth of responsibility while not like exploding the size of people and lines of communication and and that kind of uh, managerial overhead is directly because Ruby and Rails as a combination really do allow small groups of people to do large, meaningful amounts of work when you know how to wield those tools well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I guess the other question that I have, and I don't know how good a feel any of us really have for this, but um, it seems like back in its heyday, Ruby and Rails in particular were kind of the go-to option for SaaS companies to start their products in, right? And, you know, some of the bigger ones out there, like Twitter, um, you know, started out as Rails projects. And then as they evolved, maybe they pulled in other technologies to do different aspects of um, the work that needed to be done. And so what I'm wondering is, do you feel like that's part of the the resurgence or renaissance? And how many startups are you seeing that are adopting Rails as opposed to uh, Next.js or something like that?
1: Yeah, I... I should go and find it. Um, I was just reading a tweet earlier today, literally, um, that was asking people and sort of building a list of companies that were founded within the last two years that are using Ruby on Rails at the the heart of their their company. And the list was large and was growing. Um, I think that there is, and I think it's related to this like the the trends, uh, the larger trends in web application development that you know, for a long time, my sense, mostly from the outside looking in, is that a meaningful portion of sort of like acquiring the social capital to demonstrate like we are real and serious company mm-hmm. with real and serious engineering intentions. Was to show we're doing advanced, cool stuff with JavaScript. Right. And now the trend to show that you're real and serious as a startup is to say, look at how thoughtful and pragmatic we are being and how we are deploying our resources and spending (laughs) our money. Right. And in that environment, (coughs) Ruby and Rails as a combination are seeing a noticeable comeback mm-hmm. one of my like personal favorite tools and companies planet scale right which right. is a newer company that has a lot of um, hype and brand exposure and you know is mm-hmm. like doing the we are a serious startup in the um developer experience space That's a Ruby on Rails backend that is doing very complex, important, difficult work. Um, And, I mean, I I don't recall off the top of my head how old they are, but they're not, you know, one of these 20-year-old companies that, well, of course they're using Rails because what else was the option 20 years ago? Um, Mm -hmm. So I do think that there is a real comeback if we want to call it that, not that it went away in, in like a numerical sense, but in a sort of larger vibe sense, I do think that Ruby and Rails are seeing a resurgence.
0: So I, I guess, you know, with all the things that we're talking about here, we kind of talked about where things are at now and some some of the momentum heading into the future, but where do we end up at then with Ruby and Rails?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, one of the vectors I'm most personally interested in is continuing to make Rails the world's objectively best web framework for individual developers. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is um, a real, like, obviously, that has been a part of Rails um, from its beginnings, Um, but if we're being honest, it, the other definitional part of rails from its foundations has been that it is a framework extracted from real businesses. And now that are two decades into its its existence, the major businesses that employ most of the core team for rails are massive enterprises. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what is being extracted naturally are features that are incredibly valuable and useful for massive enterprises.
0: Right. Um, and you're, you're talking like Basecamp and Shopify and some of those, right? And GitHub, yeah. I think that and those GitHub three
1: GitHub. probably employ at least 80% of the Rails core team.
0: Right. And
1: it is my belief that it is the combination of these two characteristics that makes Rails so powerful and so special, that on the one hand, it is being pushed and uh, attempting to be an amazing web framework for companies doing the kinds of work at the kind of scale as Shopify and GitHub. But it is also trying to allow like an individual who is working a 9 to 5 job and wants to try to get into web development or wants to try to start their own mm-hmm. business to actually do that like leverage their time in such a way that they can create something of value and i think that the future for that aspect of rails and and that aspect of ruby is Particularly bright, especially in comparison with the rest of the web development right? like landscape. Um, it's hard for these things to be objective, but I feel like you, know, if you just had an individual um, like mid um, career developer sit down uh, with Next.js and with Rails and said, you know, you have twelve hours, um, we would see pretty quickly, which of those was a more productive technology stack. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And just speaking to that kind of single developer, uh, I don't know if you were at Rails World, but David talked a bit about that. Oh, we should have met up anyway. um, But David talked a bit about that, right? Where it was, he kind of had that vision as it being the framework that one person could reasonably build a product in. Um, without, you know, obscene amounts of effort and have something that that functions well. Um, and then he also tweeted recently, and uh, I don't have the tweet right in front of me, but he was talking about Rails 8 and how Rails 8 is going to start incorporating some of these features from the web. And so I'm assuming there's going to be some aspect of JavaScript browser programming that's going to have to happen for some of that. But um, just looking at all of those options and going, all right, we're going to add all these things in so that you can build a fully functional application in Rails that has all of those features. And and that gets me excited. Um, But then, you know, coming back to some of the other things that you're talking about with um, just having one person be able to do things and do them well, you know, Ruby continues to expand and, you know, the number of gems that we have and things like that, um, as well as the performance characteristics of Ruby continue to get better. And so, uh, yeah, I, I just, I see a really, really bright future for both. Um, and I've also seen that a lot of people tend to come in for the benefits they get from rails and then continue on into, uh, benefits in Ruby. Right. So it's like, oh, well I'm writing all of this rails code and now I just need something quick and dirty or quick and not dirty, I guess, um, that'll do a job. And so they just write a little Ruby script that does the thing and, realize how simple it is there too and so anyway it's it's really interesting to see how the ecosystem continues to grow um i kind of want to transition a little bit into your work with sqlite so i think for a long time most people have been pretty bullish on postgresql right occasionally you'll hear people say oh we're using mysql or MariaDB." um but yeah, lately I think I heard an interview from somebody from Planet Scale talking about the power that they have in a SQLite setup, and so I'm just curious. Um, yeah, what what's your work there look like, and where do you see that going?
1: Yeah, well, maybe it makes sense to start with how I found myself even experimenting with using SQLite um, mm-hmm. because, indeed, it wasn't a um, again, a, a theoretically driven thing. It was a very pragmatic right. driven decision um, where one of my roles in the company is to be effectively half of the research and development department. Um, okay. And that requires me to make sure that I am building applications that are, on the one hand, like incredibly simple and quick for me to create. And also, on the other hand, very straightforward for me to debug. Because mm-hmm. I'll, a bug report will come in, I'll have 30 minutes between calls, and what I need to be the case is that I can read the report, figure out what's going on, fix it, deploy it, Inside of that 30-minute window between calls. And I had built a couple of applications um, with Postgres, deployed them to Heroku and done things that way. Um, I just had experiences where bug report comes in and I am trying to debug it. And the amount of indirection and lack of control that i had made it difficult for me to do that quickly like i mean again really quickly right i have these 30 minute windows and um i had a project come up like hey we need to spin this up really quickly we don't have a lot of time we want to see if there's an opportunity here in the market and i had been um researching and playing around with hatchbox um it's like, okay, I'm just going to use Hatchbox and I want to I make this the absolute simplest, quote unquote, stupidest possible way I can. So I left all of the defaults and SQLite was the default database uh, when you run Rails new. And I just put it up on the server. And the first, I don't know, half a dozen bug reports that I got, the experience of whether it was um being able to really quickly like check the the state of the database I'm like okay you know this feels very natural and very similar to Postgres but then like oh, I'm not quite sure like what is happening here and just like literally scping the file down to my laptop and then running my Local instance of the application, but with the production database, and being able to step through um, the states and find, ah, okay, here is the weird thing. It just was a really pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the next project came in. I built it on top of SQLite, and within a few months, I had two or three of these small research and development applications that were running right. SQLite, and I just naturally started to bump into some rough edges. Um, And there were enough positives in the developer experience that I wanted to sand down those rough edges instead of just switch over to Postgres. Mm -hmm. Um, And that led me to just digging in to figure out, like, what are these problems? Why are they happening? How can I make them go away? And as I was beginning that work, I came across the light Stack project by uh, Muhammad A. Ali, Old Mo, on Twitter and GitHub. And it was like an actual light bulb, lightning flash moment for me, where I had been working with SQLite and working with SQLite on Rails, but I had just simply never considered the possibility that, you know, it could back all of the IO components of rails. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I saw that project and I saw the vision, it like just immediately snapped into place in my mind. It's like, right. Like that is, that is the ultimate high leverage single developer stack, right? Like it's, All on one machine, you completely can understand what's happening. You have, if you can master Rails and you can master SQLite, then you can leverage those tools, you can leverage your mastery, you can keep the amount of um, information and moving parts that you need to have in your head to jump into a, a debugging session and figure out what's going on, all like incredibly low. And it just, yeah, it inspired me. And so that that pushed me deeper into the rabbit hole. And now, I guess, um, six months later, there is a lot of improvements that have been made, a lot of improvements that are being made. Um, and there is, I think, a growing and emerging um, group of like solo developers who are seeing that similar vision of, of wanting to have, Um, a small number of quote-unquote boring technologies that they can leverage to get really outsized returns on their time um, and their effort and are recognizing that SQLite offers a, a relatively unique kind of leverage for web development. And when tuned well and used well, many of the like standard somewhat myths that are stated as like, well, you can't obviously run SQL item production because, and, <laughs> you know, the handful of things that are regularly said, like actually you can work around mm-hmm. and resolve or actually just like make disappear. Um, right. So that has been the journey.
0: Very cool. So, so where does that go from here? Right. Um. It sounds like for the most part, yeah, you can run SQLite in production now. So where, where, yeah, where do we go in the future on this? Yeah, well,
1: there are um, a few strands that are still open right now, like literally open pull requests. One of the major ones is improving concurrency support. So one of the biggest differences between SQLite and uh, client server database engines like Postgres or MySQL, is that you have a single database level write lock. So Mm -hmm. only one connection is only ever gonna be writing to the database at a time. And this is a common, one of the common statements, like you can't obviously run SQLite in production because you can only do one write at a time. You have linear writes that can never scale. This makes no sense. You should never even start. Um, now that statement fails to account for a, a number of pieces of nuance. One of the most important ones is that, like, when you completely remove any form of network latency, right, and you're able to bring queries down from milliseconds to microseconds, mm-hmm. you know, you can linearly stack hundreds of write queries in the same right. amount of time it took you to do one write query. It, it changes um, the the math there, but there is still, um, pain when it comes to like rails default connection pool, having multiple connections to the database and dealing with, mm-hmm. um, getting all of your different rights to autonomously line up, right. And not hit deadlocks or busy errors. Right. Um, so there are um, a couple of pull requests open on Rails. There's one pull request open on the SQLite3 Ruby gem. To um, actually, the one on the SQLite3 Ruby gem just got merged, but the the gem hasn't been a new version of the gem has been released right. to address this problem, like to just get the pieces in place where the systems will naturally line up, queue up your writes, um, and then. The other main direction is just continuing to build out and grow the ecosystem of tools, the information, um, the guides to make it um, clear. Like, okay, you have this kind of problem. There's, you know, at this point, a decade plus of content around here's how you do this kind of thing with Postgres. Mm-hmm. This is how you do this kind of thing with MySQL. Um, as you start to get into more advanced use cases, um, and there's not as much of that, especially for web developers for web applications when it comes to SQLite. Um, so, just trying to explore some of these more advanced use cases and write down, you know, how to mm-hmm. how to leverage the unique uh, benefits and also limitations of SQLite to accomplish more complicated needs
0: so at the end of the day then as this becomes more you know I guess where more of these issues are solved do you, do you see an uptick in SQLite usage with Ruby and what what does that mean for the community and the technology at large
1: yeah well I mean I'm I'm already seeing an uptick um, and it's it's cool to see uh, Mm -hmm. more and more people having a similar thought process as I did, right? Like I really want to max my leverage on my time and on my effort. Um, But as for what this might mean for the future, one of my hopes and beliefs is that this can help meaningfully lower the barrier to entry for new developers. I think that one of the, the areas where the JavaScript world had the advantage for a long time was how easy they at least made it seem to get started, to go from, I have right. an idea and I don't know, I don't feel like I'm a web developer, I don't feel like I'm a developer, but I want to like create something, And there was a lot of content and a lot of, um, you know, like this push for sasifying everything, making everything a service, everything an API, right? Um, So it's just, you just write these 30 lines of JavaScript and you just, you know, pay for these 15 different SaaS services and now you've got a web application. Um, I think it really helped drive the massive amount of new developers who were, starting with JavaScript as their first language. But in the last couple of years, as React has gotten more and more complicated, bigger and bigger, more of a framework and less of a uh, library, um, there's an opportunity, I think, for Ruby to take that advantage back. And mm-hmm. one of the worries I have is that we might miss that opportunity because so many of the the really experienced developers in Ruby are very comfortable with larger, more, quote unquote, enterprise grade deployment architectures, right? It's like, well, if I'm gonna do a web application, I'm gonna do it well. Obviously, I need to make sure I have a multi-region, high availability Postgres cluster that is sharded and using replicas correctly, and I want to have my Redis servers, but I need to make sure I have different Redis servers with different configurations for the different expiration policies. So I'll have my my cluster of three Redis servers, and then I'm going to make sure I put a load balancer in front. And like all of a sudden you have a, a network topology that has like eight machines. Um, and I, it's not to say that that's like wrong or bad, but It is complicated, right? And and if the first time you're trying to get an application, a web application onto the internet, you have to understand what a load balancer is and Mm -hmm. how to wire it up and connect it and how to run three different instances of a Rails application and how... just It it cascades the complexity. Um, And so really driving for a future where it is possible to build a Rails application and get it onto the internet like make it real where you don't need the funds that are required to get the 15 SaaS services in the JavaScript world and mm-hmm. you don't need the you know minor graduate degree in network topologies to follow the all of the guides for rails um but right. you can get a $4 a month Hetzner server mm-hmm. and you can take your repository and effectively like FTP it up to that server and get it running. Right. Like that's actually possible. Um, At that level of simplicity, I think offers Ruby and offers rails the opportunity to start winning back some of the um, new developer um, pipeline. Um, as React sort of makes their way into their their second decade in their more, you know, mm-hmm. enterprisy um, stage of of their lifecycle. Um, so yeah. that's that's one of my major sort of um, goals here is to really aggressively push that barrier to entry for like what it takes to get an application off of your laptop and onto the internet, right? Uh, to make it really attractive for people. Um, to get that first big win, because I think that that's like that's where you are hooked, you know. When it's like, "Look, mom, go to this URL. Yeah, you can see the thing I created. Like that is magical. And if we can make that as quick, straightforward, clear, understandable as possible, I think people will naturally make their way into the Ruby and Rails communities um, as they are starting their careers
0: makes sense is there anything else that is coming in the future ruby that you want to point out that you're excited about
1: well one thing that has come and is is continuing to evolve that that i am really excited about is the new prism parser and mm-hmm. the ecosystem of tools that are coming around that um
0: Yeah, we're talking to kevin newton in a few weeks so yeah awesome i think that that's that's he's
1: doing really valuable and amazing work for the future of ruby like when i think about some of the things like some of the more advanced uses of ruby that just they just feel amazing to do like Mm -hmm. um meta programming is one of them right it's an incredibly sharp knife but like when you wield it correctly it's like it's very very hard to replicate the power that is available to you yeah but there's always been that that sort of ceiling because there was this natural barrier to the amount of introspection that ruby had about itself Mm -hmm. the amount of um information that you could do um and i remember distinctly however many years ago this was five six years ago maybe more um but there was this moment where code mods in the javascript community were really sexy and people were talking a lot about them um and i'm i'm here working in this repository that has rubocop and it's it's great and it's useful but Mm -hmm. like the difference between being able to take in an AST, transform it and output a new version of that AST versus what is effectively a bunch of regular expressions is the difference between night and day. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. a massive difference. Um, And I think that as we continue to standardize the parser for Ruby, as as we build out the ecosystem of tools to take advantage of having that level of introspection into the language and into the code that is written in that language, we are going to open up like completely new vistas of possibilities with what we can do with Ruby. Um, And I honestly can only barely begin to imagine all of the possibilities, but I think that there's going to be some really, innovative and exciting stuff that comes out in the mm-hmm. next few years now that this foundation has been laid. So that that yep. really excites me. It's it's very amorphous because I'm not even sure I have enough of an imagination to to see all of the possibilities, but I am really confident that we're going to see really, really powerful, cool things come out of that project. So that's that's one that I'm particularly inspired and excited by.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it too. I'm I'm looking forward to getting into it with Kevin and just seeing what is coming along there. Um I guess the last question is um, if people want to connect with you, uh, you know, they have more questions about SQLite or anything, you know, what are the best places to connect?
1: Yeah, so uh, best place to connect is on Twitter. I am at fractalmind. Um I if you want more sort of guides and longer write-ups on, like, how to solve specific problems or or get specific features out of SQLite in a Rails application or in the Ruby ecosystem. Uh, I write on fractalmind.github.io. And I really am very genuinely interested in helping as many people um, find valuable, pragmatic, useful use cases for SQLite in their applications. So really genuinely like reach out on Twitter. Uh, I've had a lot of people reach out and uh, we've been able to build interesting features to do interesting things or just help them get over that one hump to get to the the next stage and what they're trying to do. Um, And I'm always down to, to help out. So feel free to DM me or just... Tweet at me um, and I look forward to chatting with anyone and everyone.
0: All right. Sounds good. We'll go ahead and wrap up. Uh, thanks for coming and jumping on and until next time, folks max out.